Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Hi again, my name is Janice. Especially uh, those of you who are watching online, uh, good to see you. Uh, we are jumping into Matthew chapter 13, and it's going to be mostly on the slide. Uh, so tr- please try it with me as I read this passage. Uh, you can read along too. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Right? Now you see in verse 44, this old man who doesn't have much, right? Uh, probably doesn't have a lot to his name. He is, you know, for some reason, he's walking in his field and he kicks something and he goes, oh, what's that? Something maybe shining, gleaming. I don't know what the treasure is referring to. Was it emerald, ruby? I don't know, diamond. Uh, so he sells all that he has, right? It says he finds this object. Maybe he found a jewel and then he dug a little bit and then he found some more, right? Maybe, maybe. In Jewish law, the rabbis say that, you know, whoever finds uh, scattered money, and in this case, this treasure in this field that this old man stumbled upon is scattered money. So whoever finds scattered money, it belongs to the finder. And what he does, it doesn't lift up all the jewels uh, 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 just like that. So he takes care to make sure that he buys the field. So as the owner, then he lifts up this treasure. So he's definitely the you know, finder's keeper. So he's definitely the keeper of this jewel. So he liquidates all that he has, everything he owns, right, to buy this piece of land. And knowing very well, somehow, with this confidence and certainty that there is more in this field than what he's paying for it, right? Verse 45 to 46. Here we read about a merchant. This time he's not an old man, right? So a financier, uh, a businessman uh, of sorts. He's probably, he, he owns chains or, you know, number of restaurants or whatever it is. He's a merchant uh, also who is in search of fine pearls. And f- pearls, if you know, so, you know, perfectly round. The rounder, the better. The more uh, uh, luster, the more uh, reflective, the better. So it's, this fine pearl is probably so reflective, it's like glass, right? Reflective, like a mirror. And, and, and it's, you know, no defects. Uh, maybe more than triple A pearl. I looked up like, what's the top grade? So there's like quintuple A pearl. It's like the top, top grade. He sells everything, this man, this uh, businessman. He sells everything to get this pearl because of if anyone knows the value of it, it, it is this man, right? He is in search of fine pearls. He sells all he has, knowing that with this pearl, he is getting more than what he is giving up. Sells his entire business, right? And the text in verse 44 tells us, remarkably, this man in his joy, he goes, sells, and buys, right? And these twin parables, you see, very short, but these twin parables really get across one point, that the kingdom of God is the most valuable thing. And when you discover it, it's worth giving up all that you have just for it. Notice three words, and we're going to spend uh, more time looking and paying attention to these three words, right? Treasure, cost, joy. Now, the first man finds this treasure by accident, right? He's not looking, he's just walking and he kicks on it, he stumbles upon treasure, 
Like, how many of you like to do that? You know, you're just walking in your backyard, if you have one, or not. You're just walking around your void deck, okay? You're walking around, you're like, whoa, what's that, okay? And you see this gleaming thing, right? How many of you like to do that? Nobody? Yeah, right? Okay. Well, you're just quietly trying to be modest, right? Not quietly. Okay. No hands, no hands. No one wants to be that one. Uh, but I would. I would want to stumble upon, you know, if I go to the uh, bin center and I try and dump stuff and I'm looking at rattan chair that people throw. I'm like, oh, what's that bag of thing there? Okay, I would be the one who would love to stumble on treasure. So the first man finds it by accident. The second man finds it by lifelong search. He is. He is in search of fine pearls, and so he finds this one. But either way, both men find priceless treasure. Second word, cost. Both men realize that the necessary price they need to pay right, to get that treasure. Third, joy. Both men know that although it cost them everything, they would gain far more. And so they sacrifice with joy for it. You know, they're not giving up everything to sell and buy it in order to get joy. But with joy, they do that. With joy, the man is selling everything to uh, buy it. So that it's that joy that drives them to sacrifice for that treasure, that fulfilled that pearl. Now let's spend time looking at these three words even closer. Okay, first one, treasure. Now Jesus when he came and his ministry started, Matthew 4.23 tells us he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the peoples. Right? Actually, if you go back a few verses in Matthew chapter 4, I love this passage where you know, uh, it says here, so that, it was, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, verse 14. Uh, in, that, in that same chapter of Matthew 4, it says, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. So basically, after hundreds of years of silence, it's like a long, long dark night, the darkest night ever, the longest, darkest night ever. And the break of dawn comes. Is Jesus starting his announcement. The kingdom of God is here. And he starts healing and preaching and teaching, right? Something is broken in the world. Jesus knows that, we know that, we recognize this wretchedness in our world. There's hostility, greed, right? Um, wars between nations, perversion, relationships, fractured, loneliness, destructiveness. We're self-destructive, destructive towards others. There's darkness in the world and there's darkness within ourselves. Where the true king of the kingdom of the world has been usurped, right? And in his place are other kings who should not be where the wrong kings rule, things decline and decay. I think Simba, Aragorn, T'Challa. There is darkness when the wrong king rules, there's decay, decline, whereas the rightful king brings flourishing. And now Jesus here is saying, there is a kingdom. I am here to announce this kingdom. I, the spirit of the Lord has sent me, right? Jesus says, God's redemption plan for all of creation. The gospel is the good news of the arrival of such a kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is here. 
here, right here on earth. God's presence breaking in, his supreme rule, his supreme reign. There is coming a fullness of righteousness, peace, mercy, justice, grace, goodness, our living hope, right? That ultimate jubilee, that ultimate deliverance from all that is broken. Jesus is saying, it's coming, it's here. The kingdom of God is here. That ultimate shalom, the perfect well-being, total goodness and, and, and wholeness, right? That shalom of God is coming, of all things. And why is this a treasure? Why is this treasure better than whatever that this worldly kingdom has to offer? See, Jesus knows our dreams, our desires, whatever we hope for to gain from this world we're in that's wretched, that's broken, is too small, is too finite, it's not lasting, right? it's not living hope. So Jesus is placing a confrontation in a parabolic way, right? He is saying, this is not it. Are you willing to trade all in this world for this treasure? It's a confrontation. The good news of the gospel is really two-pronged, if you think about it. One, it's not good news if you don't recognize our need for God, right? We are far worse than we think we are. That is the good news. Did you realize that? So if we don't recognize our need for God, how broken and depraved we are apart from Him, it is not good news, right? So it's two-pronged. So that the second one is that at the same time, you are far more loved and treasured than you think. We are far more loved than we believe. That's our identity, our created nature in God. That is why it's good news. Unless we see our need and who we were meant to be, we will cling on to our earthly pursuits, right? Our earthly possessions, which are measurable, tangible. We can see them visible, but they're temporal. They're shallow at best. Romans 1.16, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Not just the rich or the poor, not just the merchant or whoever, but everyone to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When we see our brokenness, what it does, it highlights the crazy contrast of what God is here announcing through Jesus, his original design. Jesus, the king, is inviting us to know and to live into. And I love this quote by Thomas Aquinas, which really like, you know, hits me with, wow, this pursuit of that which is the most valuable. He writes, grant me, O Lord my God, a mind to know you, a heart to seek you, wisdom to find you, conduct pleasing to you, faithful perseverance in waiting for you and a hope of finally embracing you when we come and see Jesus face to face, fully, not partially. And this treasure, those who receive Jesus, we get Jesus himself who brings us, feeds us, nourishes us, satisfies us real deep, celebrates us, robes us with authority, puts his spirit in us and makes us glorious. That is Jesus, the King. Jesus' treasure is of infinite value, but to receive this kingdom, to really experience this shalom, requires our surrender. And that is the second word, cost. You see, both these men sell everything for this treasure they found. It cost them everything. They saw it as a lifetime opportunity 
It cannot miss it. Jesus calls us to surrender all. It's this confrontation again by which you need to respond one way or another. You choose. Either you live like he is king or you are king. This is offensive because we like gradation. We like spectrum. It's too extreme. You know, he is king or he is not. But you know, you know, there's this spectrum. Yeah, yeah. And we sometimes think that we can pick and choose how Jesus will be king in our lives, right? I mean, I do that, right? We pick and choose, you know, maybe you're a master here, but here, you know, you know yeah, give me some space, give me some autonomy, right? What areas we will let him rule, we pick and choose. We think that we can. We want to have that authority. But because it's a trust relationship with him, this person who is Christ, who we confess is Lord. Our relationship is to discover and live into what it looks like when he is sitting on his throne in our hearts, in our lives, by faith. Following Jesus is not just a moral code. We know that. It's the person of Jesus. And of course, there's bound to be stuff we wrestle with with him. I don't feel like submitting it. This is too hard. That's all part of the process. And some of us, we've been Christians for so long, we kind of treat it like a membership club, right? You know, I've paid the, you know, the membership fee at the beginning. Now I'm just kind of servicing it with this like animal thing or whatever to upkeep your privileges. No, it's not something we get used to. This surrender all, this selling everything, this cost. It's, it's not. There will be stretching. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. There's going to be struggle and there's going to be growth. There's going to be barrenness. There is going to be fruit. Right? It's not pretty. It's messy. It's painful. It should be. Shouldn't be comfortable. To say yes to be a follower of Jesus requires that wrestling, right? Sacrifice, pain. It demands a change of heart. There is war for our hearts. But there's power to transform us. Grace, healing, strength. What does it mean to sell everything? The parables tell us these guys sell everything. They were willing to let go, forego whatever they had accumulated. All of their wealth, all of that. Even perhaps their reputation and their you know, family. Like, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. Burn the bridge, no turning back. These men took the step, a defining choice. They find, they sell, they buy. Look at this. The ordinary guy, right, the, the, you know, that man who was, it says old man, he was not seeking, but he finds. And he joyfully sells all. And he takes that risk. He buys the field that has the treasure. The merchant, not so ordinary, right? He's like, you know, upper echelon of society. He's this merchant guy. He's seeking. He's seeking for treasure all the time. He finds this pearl. He, by the mood of the text, tells us that there is an enthusiasm. So he also, like the other man, joyfully sells all. He buys this pearl. So it's that confrontation. You're confronted with this. What do I do with this thing that I've found? And the decision. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell all I have. Is it a risk? Yes. 
the three verbs, find, find, sell, sell, buy, buy. Notice there is urgency and a certainty in them. To us, committing to Jesus our whole lives is the same. To decisively choose one way or the other. Saying yes means giving our vote to Jesus, even when it's against our own. There will come to that. The way of the kingdom. Living as a member of God's kingdom involves both total commitment to the king and total confidence in who he is. While yes, it's an invitation, I use that language, at the crux of it, it really is a demand of our obedience, which is not so, it's not as nice as invitation. It is a demand for our obedience. Because he first loved us, I love because he first loved me. Because of what Jesus has done, how can I not? Because of the mercy and goodness of God, how can I not? Paul understood this. And he, of all people, had a lot to give up. He wrote in Philippians 3, Whatever gain I had, I count it as loss. For what? For the sake of Christ. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I suffer this loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. I think in one version it says dog poop. I count them as rubbish, trash, in order that I may gain Christ. Every time I read this, it's painful. Is there something that holds you back? Something you know you should let go of because it is a somehow a hindrance. Something you refuse to, a sin, an area where you have security in, an aspect of your success that you're holding on to, your status. Are there conditions that you attach to your worship, to your obedience to Jesus? You know that hymn when I surveyed the wondrous cross, there's that stanza that says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Because of his love, it demands it. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. There is that singular focus when you know we've tasted it. I've tasted this treasure. There is an urgency not to be delayed, not to be deceived or distracted. An urgency to surrender, sell everything. There is a certainty to sell everything because there is just clarity who he is. Not to waver, not to be half-hearted. Luke 12 verse 34 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I don't know if you notice, even though the word here is cost, there's really no listed value in the text. Doesn't tell us, I know some of us, we're like, how much, huh? You know, we're not so used to, you know, some, they'll tell you in the Gospels how much things cost, right? How many denarii, one denarii, 10 denarii, 30 shekels of silver, whatever. There's no value listed here. You know, it's primarily not about how much they sell. The emphasis is just, it's just whatever the amount, this pearl is preeminent. 
The emphasis is on the intrinsic value of that treasure. It just drives them to sell everything with joy. They don't sell everything to get that joy. But when they encounter that, there is this joy that just drives, compels them to sell everything, which brings us to the third word, joy. Joy that money cannot buy. How could they give up everything with joy? It's incompatible with the way of the world. How could they part with all that they possess? It's not painful, not wasteful, extreme. They really want it. I think they understand the value of what they found. Compared to what they, they would receive, what they lose is really nothing. It's a gain. Their lives are never the same. Complete redirection. Total reorientation of what is of value to them. When it comes to Jesus, is Jesus better? Even if I have to be willing to sell everything, is Jesus really better? Oh, you know, but I don't want to find out later that yeah, it's not going to work out the way I want, you know. Mm, what I hoped for is going to fail. I still want my life the way it is. Repent as a turnaround. Have you discovered this infinite worth of Jesus? He is infinitely more of worth than anything we could ever give up to receive him. Most of us, we need to be converted again to this truth and again and again. And some of us, we struggle because we have trouble believing Jesus really wants us to live with joy. Jesus wants us to live lives full of joy. We contrast that with, you know, somehow we just have this, maybe because of, you know, our, the way that we grew up and the way we see the world, Jesus is like, kill joy, you know. If I like it, it's not Jesus. There's this, like, sense of piety that needs to be, like, is masochistic. I, like, deny myself so much that there's just, there's no desire, no pleasure, no joy whatsoever. That's, that's what following Jesus is like. No. Jesus wants us to have the most joyful life possible. Granted, he doesn't say happiness is the ultimate goal to live for. No. But he does, he does say seek first the kingdom. Right? Make God's kingdom your primary, the preeminent force, your foremost, your focus. Westminster Catechism says in this beautiful way, the chief end of man, what is it? to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When we make God our total commitment, we live for this ultimate highest goal, seek God. What does that look like? In our obedience to Him, we will know Him. We will enjoy Him. We will wrestle with Him. We will embrace all that He has for us. In Jesus, there is fullness of joy. There is delight. There is pleasures forevermore. There is incredible satisfaction. There is this reward just of knowing him, Jesus promises our inheritance, rest, peace, strength, goodness, friendship, wisdom, grace, adventure, life in all abundance. John 10, 10. I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. When the angel uh, announced to the shepherds at the birth of Jesus, say what? Good news of sadness? No. Glad tidings. 
good news of joy. Every one of us is invited to joyfully give up everything to receive this kingdom. The joy of following Jesus, guys, it overpowers every worldly hindrance. But my question is, what are you selling everything for? Because the truth is, all of us sell everything for something. You may be sitting there, well, you know, I don't do that. All of us sell all that we have for something, whether it's for a particular career path, a dream home, a particular notion of what a good life is, a reputation that we want to have. These things, though, they don't make the kind of promises that Jesus does, and they definitely cannot deliver. Jesus is better. Is what I'm reminding us to think on again. What is more, guys, is that the price is ultimately not paid by us. What do you have to give? What is our everything? The reason the treasure is worth far more than all our combined assets is that ultimate cost for redemption of our lives that is so costly was paid by Jesus. There is no way we can afford in multiple lifetimes this treasure. Because it's worth so much. Jesus pays it. Every worldly system demands so much of us but gives so little back. But Jesus, however, calls us to follow him. It sounds like a lot. Give up everything and follow me. But he doesn't call us out of tyranny, out of subjugation, although he definitely has dominion, he's sovereign, but through the humble sacrifice of his own life. Ephesians 2, God rich in mercy. Because of his love, we are now raised with Christ. And it tells us so that God might show us the immeasurable riches. You think you're giving up a lot, but the immeasurable riches of God's grace toward us is so much more. The king himself paid the price on our behalf, knowing it would cost him everything. It was Jesus who sold everything to purchase us. Philippians 2 Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. No religion, ideology, or philosophy, or person comes close to this kind of king. Jesus saw us valuable. So valuable, he gave up all of it. He traded all the glory of heaven so that he can bring us home, reconciled back into the presence of God. Jesus didn't come to heal the healthy. He came to seek and save the lost. For that one, he left 99. For that one, he would leave the glory of heaven. He would sell everything for one, for you. 
Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. It's interesting that Christine was just mentioning this even in a prayer, you know. It says that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What was Jesus doing it for? The joy that was set before him. Our hindrance to experiencing this joy is we're distracted. We're not seeing Jesus as the king he really is, like the man really saw what was worth in that field. And that man who truly saw the value, the beauty, the worth of that fine pearl. We fool ourselves under the notion that what we have is ours to keep. But Jim Elliot reminds us he is no fool to get, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, looking back at that text again, the verse before it talks about the joy that was set before Jesus. The verse tells us, therefore, let us also lay aside in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus sold everything because he saw us so valuable to be purchased. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin. Lay it down, sell everything. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We are distracted. But today, would we be drawn back with this joy of having found Jesus? Joy in having found Jesus, in knowing him, that would drive us to commit your life, my life, fully to him. You know, there are times when we kind of, we're all hanging out at home with the kids, uh, my husband and I, and we're like, Hey, do you guys want to go downstairs and play, go to the playground or whatnot? And sometimes they just want to, no, you just want to stay home and watch TV. Right? And it just like prompted me, like, that's, that's how we are, right? You would rather, you know, just, I'll just enjoy what I have. But there is better. And that invitation is before us. But it takes practice. It takes practice because our sights are not always set on the better thing. C.S. Lewis writes it this way. We are half-hearted creatures, full about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Times of us just coming before God, renewal, reality check on heavenly things, fix our eyes at Jesus, our King. These would sustain us in the joy of our salvation, sustain us with enduring faith. Can I draw your attention just to look at how Jesus may be drawing you to respond to him today? They have to let the band up. And we set our minds on things above, right? And this morning, Jesus is asking, as we journey through this season, and a very uh, big theme of Lent is really just to humbly come before God and examine afresh the condition of our hearts. Who is Jesus to you and I? Is Jesus pointing out something to let go of? 
is Jesus confronting you with the question, this is not it, my son. This is not it, my daughter. There is more. There is better. Jesus will put this confrontation before you, set it before your eyes, and say, would you sell everything to follow me? So can I invite you to stand and hide just this question for you as you respond. And I don't know how God may want to lead you with this question, but my prayer is that you will consider this question as your response to Him today. And the question is, Jesus asks, what is my worth to you? What am I worth to you? And you know, even as I asked that, and I asked the Lord further, how do you want me to lead them this morning to respond? As every one of you considered that question, what is Jesus worth to you? There's one particular group that just, I felt impressed on my heart by God just now for you is that perhaps some of you, even those uh, watching online or in person here, there's some of you that you struggle because in the past you've given up something, but at that time maybe you, you wanted to. You know it was the right thing to do or the thing that God wanted you to do. But this morning, God is leading you back to that moment and He's asking, what is my worth to you? And maybe sometimes over time, over weeks or days or months or years, that selling everything has become old and it has become unjoyful. You know what I mean? And it does. So Jesus asks you, revisit that. When you were selling everything, what is my worth to you? And would you, with Jesus, go back to that time? What is my worth to you, Jesus asked. And however you feel that to respond, I'll just give you a bit of time before I pray. for some of you God may be prompting you to respond either with words or gesture and I'd like to give you space to do that so with your own words and with your own posturing a response in gesture or action 
you respond to him now. Jesus, we thank you. We're so grateful to be so gently reminded today when you say to sell everything and follow you to that rich man, that young ruler. And when you say things like, take up your cross daily and follow me. So oftentimes we read those and we're like, gosh, it's so hard. But we're so grateful that we were reminded today you didn't say it, but you did it. You did exactly that for us. That you saw as so valuable that you gave all that you had for us. And so when you say to follow you, there is so much love and mercy there. You are so worth following more than anything we hold on to in our lives, more than anything noble or not noble, holy or not. We want to lay down all of them at your feet. And we say we do want to follow you and in our past, in our present, in every incident and circumstance, when it has gotten hard for us to sell everything, Jesus, you were there. You were not there gloating. You were there walking with us, going through it with us. And even today, you're doing the same. And so, brothers and sisters, beloved of God, this morning where you are in your life, where Jesus says to you, come to me, would you be willing to lay all of this in exchange for me? Know that Jesus says it with love, with compassion, and he draws you. And he says to you, 
my child, I am more than enough for you. Jesus, would you help us to see your worth, to walk deeper in intimacy with you. And like these men, God, with joy, we give our all and follow you. Today, in the past, and always. Make that our heart prayer and posture before you, Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name.